last week, I love a new year because it's a fresh start. And it reflects the rhythms of God's grace. You get up on January 1st, and even though you've broken your New Year's resolutions last year, and even though you've made the same resolutions every year, every year you commit to lose the same 30 pounds. You know, every year you make the same promises, but you wake up January 1st, and you're like, ah, this is my year. This is my decade. There's something about a fresh start that makes us feel like transformation is possible for us. And I want to tell you today, transformation is possible for you. Transformation in your relationship with God is possible and available to you. And so what we're doing is we're taking the first few weeks of the year and talking about practices that we can build into our lives to bring that spiritual transformation. If we want transformation, it doesn't come as a big moment. It comes through consistent daily habits. If you want transformation in your finances, I wouldn't recommend standing by your mailbox waiting for a big check to magically appear. I would recommend creating a budget every month and living according to that budget. If you want to lose weight, I wouldn't recommend praying before you go to bed, oh Lord, let me wake up tomorrow a size two. I don't know if any men want to be a size two, probably not. This is my rule. And then you wake up the next morning, no, it's about consistent daily habits in your lives. It's the same thing in our spiritual life. You're not going to wake up tomorrow passionate about the Lord and hungry for his presence. It's about building in consistent daily habits. And all of a sudden you look back and things have changed. So this is a super practical series. Um, when we decide to incorporate a spiritual practice into our lives, it can be very overwhelming. You know, you wake up and you're like, I'm going to read the whole Bible in a year. And already by now, you're behind four days. You're like, eh, I'm never going to catch up anyway. Whatever. You've read Genesis 1 through 7 like 20 times, and you've never gotten to Exodus. I've been there. Um, it can be overwhelming, so we need to know how to do these things. So in this series, we want to present you with a case for why you should incorporate these practices and also very, very practical advice on how to do that in your lives. Uh, so we learn these things in community. When we talk about discipleship, discipleship is just how we learn to follow Jesus. There's the learning side of it, and you can learn that from reading books, listening to podcasts, listening to sermons, but there's a community aspect of it as well. There are some things that you cannot learn about the Christian life if you are not in community. And today we're going to be talking about prayer. Prayer is one of those things that we need to learn from other people. Uh, last week we talked Bible about the Bible. This week we're talking about prayer. And prayer seems like one of those things that only like really spiritual people do. Or like grandmas. How many of you had a grandma who like prayed all the time? We, we called my grandma Mama because we were... West Virginia people. My mama prayed all the time. I'd hear her in the kitchen. She'd be making oatmeal, praying to Jesus. I'd be like, man, that seems really boring to me. I'd be like, I'm never going to pray as much as my mama prays. Um, or maybe we think it's only for really perfect Christians. Praying is only for those Christians who don't have to spend the first 10 minutes asking forgiveness for all the words they said in traffic, uh, in rush hour, during the grub. Um, but my goal today is just to get you praying. I just want you to become a person 
who prayers, who prays. And let me define this for you. Prayer is just talking to God. That's all it is. Prayer is just talking to God and opening up your heart to let God speak to you. That's all it is. It's not about a magic formula. It's not about, you know, smoke and all this kind of stuff. It's just talking to God. So I want to take just a few moments to talk about why we should pray. I won't spend a lot of time on this because if you buy yourself a book about prayer, the whole book is going to be about why you should pray. So I'm going to lean heavier on the how side today, but I want to give you a few really important reasons why you need to be praying. The first reason that we need to be praying is because Jesus prayed. Jesus prayed all the time during his time on earth. He teaches a lot in scripture about how to pray. When Jesus was was here and he was doing his ministry, his friend and his cousin, John the Baptist, was killed. When Jesus received news of it, it says that he went away to a solitary place to pray. How have any of you ever received news that just threw you immediately into like the deepest grief and you just kind of cry out to God in that moment? That's exactly what Jesus did. It doesn't make you a person of little faith to grieve and to seek God in those moments because that's what Jesus did. Jesus prayed before he did miracles. If you look at the stories where Jesus fed crowds of people, it says before he did the miracle, he gave thanks to God. He blessed the food. Jesus was constantly praying. He was constantly seeking the heart of the Father. And so here's the most important reason that I pray. I want to do what Jesus did. I want to do whatever Jesus did. Whatever Jesus did, I'm just going to copy off of him. Okay? Being a Christian just means that we're a follower of Jesus. And if we're a follower of Jesus, that means we should do the things that Jesus did. It's really that simple. Jesus sat under the teaching of spiritual leaders when he was young. I want to sit under the teaching and wisdom of other people. Jesus placed himself in community. He had deep friendships. I'm going to place myself in community and have deep friendships. Jesus ate with people. He ate in people's homes. I'm going to eat with people in their homes. Jesus prayed, so I'm going to pray. I'm going to take time to figure out how to pray because that's what Jesus did. Jesus prayed, and so I want to pray. He was in constant communion with the Father. He was always praying. He was always sneaking away from the disciples. And there's a few places in scripture where it says, like, while it was still dark, Jesus went off to a solitary place to pray. And then the disciples came looking for him. And they found him and they brought things to his attention. And I just imagine Jesus, like, I would be so annoyed if I went and found myself in a nice, quiet place to connect with God. And I was having this nice moment with God the Father. And here come these people and they're like, oh, Pastor Kelly... Well, there's no one to serve in the nursery for Sunday. What should we do? I'm like, hey, people. All right, Lord, I'll be back later. You know, you got to go deal with something. But this was the reality for Jesus. So for those of you that have children, and you're like, you're finally like, I'm just going to do it. And you get up, and the Lord is speaking to you. And then you're like, oh, man, the kid has the stomach flu, whatever it is this time of year, and it interrupts you. That's not a reason not to engage in prayer, because Jesus modeled this for us. When you get the chance to pray, you take it. He was in constant communion with the Father. So Jesus was very tuned in to what God's will was. When someone came seeking healing, Jesus knew exactly what to do because he could hear so clearly from the Father. 
And the reason he could hear so clearly from the Father is because he spent time in prayer. See, prayer aligns our hearts with the heart of the Father. That's the second reason you need to be praying. Because prayer aligns our hearts with the heart of the Father. The night that Jesus was, was crucified, it says that he was in the Garden of Gethsemane. And he, he was about to face what he had come to earth for. He was about to face being beaten and being crucified and being accused of things that he didn't do. I, thank God I've never been beaten. I've never been physically beaten, but I've been accused of things I was innocent of. And that just kind of tears your soul apart, especially when it's from people that you love deeply. So Jesus is preparing his soul to go through this deep, spiritual, painful, physical work. And he says, Father, if it's your will, would you take this cup from me? He's like, Father, this is why I came here, and I kind of don't want to do it anymore. Could you make a way out for me? And he takes a lot of time and agony to bring his heart into alignment with the heart and the will of the Father. The more time we spend communicating with God the Father, the more we come to understand his purposes for our lives. See, prayer doesn't always change my situation. That's the truth. Sometimes we pray for something, and it doesn't happen. We pray for financial provision, or we pray for healing. We pray for a relationship to work out, and we, we pray, and it doesn't happen. Sometimes that's the reality. But prayer helps my heart come into alignment with the heart of the Father. So that even if I've been disappointed in my prayers, my heart still is able to trust in God's plan for my life. The story is such an encouragement to me because this reminds me that even Jesus had trouble understanding and accepting God's plans for his life. Even Jesus had trouble understanding and accepting God's path for him. So that means sometimes when I have trouble understanding what God is doing in my life, I know there's grace for that. Jesus understands how we feel when that happens. Jesus spent time in prayer in order to align his heart with God's heart. And that ultimately brought him to a place of surrender. The third thing that prayer does in our lives is prayer changes outcomes. Prayer changes outcomes. We have to believe as Christians that we have access to the Father. And when we pray, sometimes it changes the outcome of what God is going to do. This doesn't mean that we get whatever we want, but the Bible is clear that prayer moves the hand of God. In Psalm chapter 106, verse 23, there's a song where it said, it was talking about the rebellion of the Israelites in the wilderness. And it said, God said he would destroy them, the Israelites, had not Moses, his chosen one, stood in the breach, stood in the gap before him to keep his wrath from destroying them. So there's all these moments, it was really funny, the interactions between God and Moses, because some days God was like, I'm so tired of these people, I'm just going to destroy them. We'll just start from scratch, it'll just be you and me, Moses, it's going to be so fun. And Moses would say, oh, God, don't do that. You know, you love these people, and, and what will the other nations say about the, the chosen nation, the chosen nation of God? And God would relent, and he would still his hand of judgment because of the prayers of Moses. And there were other times that Moses said, you know what, Lord, I'm done. Just destroy these people and be done with it. And then the Lord would say, oh, Moses, give them another chance. You know, you have to wonder what would happen if they had both gotten angry on the same day. But, uh, but 
we have to look at these stories in scripture where prayer changed an outcome. And I want to tell you today that you need to pray as if the outcome will change. Okay? That's a few reasons that I would love for you to engage in prayer. It's going to make a huge difference in, our, in your life. But uh, I want to take some time and talk about the practice of prayer and how you can incorporate this into your life. Now, I'm going to give you a lot of ideas, and I want to invite you to take pictures of the screen or take notes. Not all of these are, don't incorporate all of these. You'll spend 12 hours a day in prayer, okay? And this isn't, this isn't a formula. This, this is just some ideas. Like I said last week about the Bible, find what works for you. I'm not asking you to get up at 5 o'clock in the morning and spend two hours a day laying on your face on the floor. Okay, that's not what I'm asking you to do. That's not realistic for most of us. I'm asking you to consider the space that you already have in your life where you can start to incorporate prayer. Okay? So I have a book that I read this summer called How to Pray by Pete Greig. Um, you, can, you can't have this because it's mine. But if you want to come up and snap a picture of it and order it, uh, this is the best guide that I have found about prayer. It's a phenomenal book. Uh, Pete Grigg has started a, an international prayer movement. It's really incredible, so I really recommend this. Um, if you want to come and look at it after service, you can. But in his book, he gives a really great acrostic about different elements of prayer. Again, this is not a formula. These are different elements. If you want to do these in order, you can in your practice of prayer, but if you only have time to do one of them, that's okay too. So the first uh, element he gives us is that we need to pause. We need to pause and just kind of create a break from the world and the craziness around us. Uh, when I go to sleep at night, I don't sleep in my street clothes. I take some time, I wash my face, I brush my teeth, and I put on my crisp cotton pajamas and it kind of tells my brain, like, okay, it's time to slow down. It's time to go to bed. I don't just go in and get in bed. I have to create a shift and a kind of a break in my day so that my body understands, and now it's time to sleep. And when I wake up in the morning, I make myself a cup of coffee, and that signals everything to just go ahead and wake up. The day is starting. So when I pray, sometimes I try to create an intentional break and say to my spirit, okay, now we're praying. I encourage you to position yourself to engage. Position yourself to engage. This might look like a physical shift in what you're doing. For me, I have a chair that I sit in, I have my blanket there in the winter time, and I have my little table, and it's like a, it's one of those Ikea chairs that everybody has, the poong chair, you know? So I kind of sit back in it, and I kind of close my eyes for a minute, and I shift my physical position so that I can kind of prepare my soul um, but it doesn't have to look like that. It can just be closing your eyes for just a moment. Um, your physical condition can reflect what you're doing on your insides. And there's biblical precedent for this. Often in scripture, you know, it talks about Daniel kneeling down. It talks about different people putting their face down to the ground. It talks about other people lifting their hands. There's biblical precedent for shifting your physical position when you're encountering God. Uh, there's been times that I've been praying on the metro. The other day I was walking past the, oh, had to have been the line one. There's only two that are open. Um, and I had my headphones in and I was listening to Fight My Battles. Fight My Battles came on. And I was like, 
whoa, but I just felt like this really strong presence of God. But I'm not going to stand there. I'm sorry, maybe some of you are more spiritual than me. I'm not going to stand there in the metro and be like, this is how I fight my battles. Because you will be taken out by the police, guys. Don't try it, okay? But I just kind of, I just kind of took a breath. And what I like to do sometimes on the metro if I'm praying is I like to just kind of open my hands, like open my palms like this, but they're just down at my sides. And I just kind of open them and I go, okay, Lord, I'm ready to receive from you. And even just that really, really simple change, it's not noticeable to the people around me, um, but it's, a, it's just a shift in my posture. You can even do it on the metro. You can do it while you're driving. Don't close your eyes. <laughs> okay? But you might have a moment while if you're driving to work Don't and you're close your eyes. You might have a moment at a stoplight where you just kind of, uh, you just take a deep breath and close your eyes for a second and create that break in your day. Sometimes when I'm home, sometimes when I'm home and I'm listening to worship music, sometimes I will put my hands up in the air. I'm an expressive person. If that's not your personality, it's fine. There's nothing magic about it. Sometimes I kneel on the floor if I'm feeling really grieved about something, really stressed about something. Sometimes I will kneel on the floor. You know, you see in movies people kneeling beside their beds at night. Whatever that is for you, it's fine. There's nothing magic to any of it. It's just about creating that break. Shifting your physical self can bring you into a headspace to engage in prayer. All right, so I want to encourage you to do that. The second thing I want to encourage you to do is use worship music. Turn worship music on at home. Uh, if I'm on the metro or if I'm walking through the city and I'm listening to worship music in my headphones, it brings me naturally into a place of prayer. It's an amazing thing. Sometimes in the mornings, I turn on worship music. On Sunday mornings, I have a Spotify playlist called Worship Favorites. And I've gone through Spotify and I have found all the songs from when I was a teenager, from when I was in my 20s, songs where I had a moment with God, I put them all on one playlist. And on Sunday mornings, I put that playlist on and I'm putting, doing my makeup and I'm doing my hair and I'm praying while I'm doing that. Okay, you don't have to carve out an hour of your day, but you create space to encounter God. So be proactive, make a playlist of worship music. You can do this on iTunes, Spotify, YouTube. All of the songs we do at the bridge are available on those platforms. You can Google the little lyrics and find them. They're available for you, but be proactive in creating that space to pause and encounter God. So the first thing we're gonna do is we're going to pause. The second thing we're going to do is we are going to rejoice. This is gonna spell pray. I'll give you a spoiler alert. This is gonna spell pray. The second thing we're going to do is rejoice. We're going to reflect on what we are grateful for. This can be a real discipline sometimes. So here's what this might look like. First of all, you might try making a list of things that you're grateful for. Ann Voskamp wrote a book called 1,000 Gifts. I think that's what it was called. I think it was 1,000. Maybe it was 1,001. Um, 1,000 Gifts. And she was challenged to keep a notebook and to write down 1,000 things that she was grateful for. 1,000 things. And at first it was like, my husband, my kids. And then it's like, oh, no, that only took one. Child one, child two, child three, child four. I'm thankful for the chickens. I'm thankful for the cows. And as, you, as she got deeper and deeper into the list, it caused her to notice the little daily things that she hadn't been noticing before. So making a list of what you're grateful for, that's an activity of prayer. That's an activity of prayer when we take time to remember what God has done in our lives. 
The second way that I like to practice rejoicing is to pray while I'm walking outside or pray on holiday. My view of my apartment, I used to be able to see the sky and now there's been an apartment building built right across the street. So I see construction workers out my window. There's a large plaque there with a phone number on how you can buy an apartment. It's not very scenic. It doesn't make me, it doesn't like lead me into a place of worship naturally. But when I go on holiday and I can see like the mountains or the sea or just like the grass sometimes after living in Paris, it reminds me of the splendor of our creator. And it can lead me into a place where I'm like, wow, God, you're so much bigger than I can imagine. I was taking a train through the Alps a couple years ago and I was like, man, God is incredible. It led me into a place of rejoicing in who God is. So if you get out and you go for a hike, Akosua leads a great hiking group. When you get out in nature, it reminds us of the character of God. It's a great way to pray. I love to pray when I'm walking outside. Um, and I want to challenge you to discipline yourself to always bring it back to praise. We see a pattern in a lot of the Psalms where people will people will be pouring out their heart, like especially David. David would be like, there's armies coming to get me, and they're going to kill me, and I didn't even do anything wrong. I mean, they're like pouring their heart out. They're saying, God, I think you've forgotten about me. God, I've been trying to please you, and all you do is keep leading me into trouble. But in those songs, always at the end of it, they come back and they say, yet will I praise you. Yet will I trust you. Yet will I put my hope in you. And so when you're at a place that you're having a hard time finding something to rejoice about, pray the Psalms. Flip through the Psalms and just say it and make it your prayer to the Lord. That's a beautiful practice of prayer. The third thing we want to do is ask. So we're going to pause, we're going to rejoice, and then we're going to ask. This is what most of us spend our time in prayer doing, right? Is asking, being honest with God about what we need. Jesus gives super clear instructions about prayer in Matthew chapter 6. This is what he says. He's, he's teaching about prayer. He says, when you pray, don't be like the hypocrites. Don't be like those people who are just showing off their Christianity to look good. For they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by others. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward in full. He says, but when you pray, go into your room, close the door, and pray to your Father who is unseen. Jesus is kind of saying, hey, you know what? Keep it simple. Keep it simple. Just go and in private, tell God what we need to tell him. Nobody else needs to hear it. It's okay if someone overhears you. Okay, it's okay if you live with other people and they overhear you praying. That's not what he's talking about. But he's saying, just keep it simple. And then he goes on. And he says, your father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. And when you pray, don't keep on babbling like pagans. For they think they will be heard because of their many words. Do not be like them, for your father knows what you need before you ask him. So Jesus is saying, keep it real with your prayers. It's not about the words that you use. It's about the condition of your heart. But what I want to tell you is that you can say anything to God. You can say anything to God. You know, I have, at certain points in my life, I have said, man, God, I'm, I'm kind of mad at you right now. I'm kind of mad at you. 
I said, man, God, you really disappointed me. I needed you to come through, and I feel like you forgot about me. I'm really disappointed in you, God. Every time I was that honest with God, he met me where I was. He's not mad at you if you say that kind of stuff. You can say anything to God. You know, there's been moments throughout my life when I prayed, and I said, man, God, I don't know what to believe anymore. I don't know what to believe, but I'm going to keep praying because I think you're listening, but I need you to know that I'm not really sure what to believe. God is big enough to handle your doubts. He's big enough to handle your anger. He's big enough to handle your disappointment, but keep talking to him. Keep it real. Keep being honest with the Lord. You can say anything to God. And then Jesus goes on in the next verse and he says, this then is how you should pray. You can say this with me if you know it this morning. He says, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Listen, if you don't hear anything else today, hear this. If you don't know how to pray, you can just pray the Lord's Prayer, and that's good enough. If you come into a time of prayer every day, or if you're heading, headed toward the metro and you say, man, I'd like to pray, but I don't know what to say, just say the Lord's Prayer. God will, God will hear you. Okay, if it was good enough for the disciples, it's good enough for us. If that's your starting point, there's nothing wrong with that. You don't have to even invent your own words if you're not ready for that. You can just say the Lord's Prayer. If you don't know where to start, start with the Lord's Prayer. When we ask, we ask in a couple different ways. We ask for our own needs. You can ask God for anything. You can ask God for anything you need. We ask Him for our own needs. And I want to encourage you. One thing I heard that changed my life was you need to risk disappointment in your prayers. You need to risk disappointment. For a long time, I prayed to try to guard myself against disappointment. Like, hey, Lord, I'd like you to do this, but it's fine if you don't have time. Don't worry about it. Because then if God didn't come through, it was kind of a self-preservation thing. But I want to encourage you to risk disappointment in your prayers. Risk disappointment in your prayers. We ask for our own needs, and then we ask for the needs of others. This is called intercession, when we come before the Lord with the needs of other people. I have a journal that I keep, and every time one of you comes to me and says, Pastor Kelly, would you pray for me? This is going on. Or every time one of you says, oh, man, I've got a situation at work, or I've got a situation with my kids, I write it down in a book, and the list is really long now. So when I pray, I go through and I pick a few off of that list every day. And sometimes I get to go and cross it off because the Lord answered it. So I want to encourage you to bring other people's needs before the Lord. Before the Lord. And I want to take just a minute to address uh, what happens when God doesn't answer our prayers. Some of you are here, and maybe you're thinking, I'm done with prayer because I really needed God to come through for me, and he didn't. Maybe you feel disappointed or forgotten by God because he didn't answer your prayers. I get it. The morning that my mother died, uh, my dad and I prayed really, really hard that God would heal her. And she died. Some people are like, oh, he healed her, just not in the way that you thought he would. And I'm like, I'm pretty sure God knew what we were talking about. And there's been moments where I have been so frustrated with God. There have been moments where I've said, God, what would it have cost you to heal her? What's the problem? 
And I really felt like, man, God, were you deaf to our prayers that day? But I want to share with you some really powerful imagery from the book of Revelation. Revelation is the last book in the Bible, and it's one where John had some incredible visions of many different things that were yet to come. And he receives a vision of the throne room of heaven. And God is there, and the angels and the elders and all these like really weird different creatures are worshiping God. And it says in uh, Revelation 8 that the incense in the throne room comes from bowls full of prayers from the saints. Fabrice, will you put up the next slide? Because I don't know. So Revelation 8, 3 through 4. It says, Another angel who had a golden censer came and stood at the altar. He was standing before the throne of God. He was given much incense to offer with the prayers of all God's people on the golden altar in front of the throne. The smoke of the incense, together with the prayers of God's people, went up before God from the angel's hand. Every prayer you've ever prayed is cherished by God. It's kept. The prayers of all the saints are in the throne room of God, creating an environment of worship for God. That verse is so encouraging to me because it means that even when we don't understand the plans and purposes of God, no prayer is wasted. There's no expiration date on prayer, which means the prayers that were prayed generations ago are still valid. They're still in the throne room of God as sweet incense before him. All of your prayers are heard. All of your prayers are cherished even when we don't understand what's happening, even when we don't understand why God seemed to not come through, the prayers that were prayed long ago are still before God. None of our prayers go unheard. That verse really encourages me. So if you're at a place where you've stopped praying because you feel like God didn't come through for you, God heard you. God cherishes your prayers. Don't give up. Don't give up on praying. The fourth element that, that Pete gives us uh, in the book there is that we're to yield. We're to yield, we're to listen and respond. This is the space where you allow yourself to lean into the correction that God is bringing into your life. If you want to grow in your relationship with God, you have to yield to his correction. God is our father. He's a good, good father. And he wants us to grow up to become a functioning Christians, which means we're going going to have to be corrected from time to time. Some of you in the room are raising children, and once in a while, you have to correct your children. And these are things that are like not an option for functioning adults. You know, there's a certain place where you go to the toilet. It's in the toilet. That's the only place that adults are allowed to go, you know, to take care of their business. And you have to go to bed every night. Every person on the globe has to go to bed every night. We have to brush our teeth. There are things where we have to bring correction into our children's lives, and God has to bring correction into our lives. And we have to make the choice to lean into that correction. And one thing I like to do sometimes is to journal my prayers. This really kind of slows me down and helps me to process through my prayers sometimes. If you express yourself better in writing, I promise you that God knows how to read, okay? God knows how to read your language, and sometimes it's easier to write our prayers than to say them out loud. They sell journals with locks on them, 
combination locks and also hook locks with a key so that you can be really, really honest with God. My dad likes to say that when God says something to you, you should write it down. Hey, this is Kelly, lead pastor of the Bridge International Church. We hope you enjoyed this week's message from the Bridge. If you'd like more information about the Bridge, or if you'd like to get in touch with us, visit us at thebridgeparis.com.